What is energy? Energy is a reality-defining concept, seems to be enjoying heightened usage at the moment, which makes it worthy of a closer examination. According to the science classes I grew up with, energy is defined as the ability to do work. Almost all food energy comes originally from sunlight and is then chemically combined and recombined to make up different chemical elements which form our food chain, releasing some form of heat at each stage of this reconstitution. Science classifies energy into two categories, kinetic, that is energy in motion, including electric, radiant, sound and motion energy, and potential energy, that is energy which is currently still but has the potential for movement, including gravitational, elastic, chemical and nuclear energy. This conceptualization doesn't really invite any further philosophical examination, so I'd like to turn my attention to vibrational wavelengths, that is, the way that energy in motion transmit itself, transmits itself. For example, sound energy is the movement of energy through a substance, such as air or water, in the form of waves. It is produced when the force of it is such to cause an object or substance to vibrate. One concept that can help us to understand vibrations is resonance. First, let's define some key terms. We've all seen an ocean wave and we understand that the general shape of a wave is a crest and a trough around a baseline of origin. Wavelength is the distance from crest to crest or trough to trough of each of these waves. Amplitude is the height of a wave crest or trough from baseline of origin, and frequency pertains to the amount of waves per unit of time. The typical unit used to describe frequency is hertz, and this relates to the number of waves per second. Back to resonance. Resonance is the increase of amplitude, that is, height of the wave from its origin, that occurs when the frequency, that is, the same number of waves per period of time, of a wave is equal or close to the natural frequency of the system on which it acts. To further explain, if everything is made up of energy, then everything has a natural bandwidth of frequency that it exists within. So a wine glass, for example, typically exists in the world at a frequency of between 20 to 20,000 hertz, that is, the amount of waves per second. If an opera singer were able to utter a tone which was an exact match for the vibrational frequency that the wine glass had existed within, then there would be an increase in amplitude but no increase in frequency that could theoretically result in the smashing of the wine glass if it went on for long enough and if the amplitude was wide enough. With regards to sound, an increased amplitude can be um, theorised as volume. Mathematician Stephen Strogatz theorizes that a sense of consciousness can be heightened by the synchronization, that is resonance, of vibrations within an organism, for example the gamma, beta, alpha, theta and delta wave level, and the greater the harmonization of the smaller constituents, the greater the consciousness enjoyed by an organism. Tam Hunt from the University of California, Santa Barbara, took the examination of this phenomenon further and theorizes that all matter has consciousness. In fact, according to an article published by her in The Conversation in 2017, matter and consciousness are two ends of the same continuum, with non-synchronized vibrations, matter, at one end and resonant vibrations, consciousness, at the other. 
She further speculates that all matter exists within the most basic level of consciousness, including, say, rocks, but it is in its capacity to harmonise within itself and external to itself that generates higher level of consciousness. Energetic harmonization can be found all throughout the animal kingdom. Synchronization has been shown to occur in clouds of fireflies, schools of fish, and flocks of bird, and vibrational resonance, resonance is offered as one clue to how these organisms self-organize and respond in synchronicity to shared stimuli. The HeartMath Institute has been either publishing or collecting evidence of studies conducting conducted on the electromagnetic connections between heart and brain since the 1970s. In this time, they found evidence of electromagnetic synchronization between brain and heart of a single organism and between two separate organisms, two humans and one human and a pet dog. For example, in one study, they found synchronous R waves of one subject's heart wave via ECG with another subject's brain waves measured via EEG, even when both subjects within the experiment had no visual view of each other and were simply placed in proximity to one another. So what are the connotations of our tendencies to harmonize with one another? Well, there is a popular spiritually based concept that relates around manifesting our intentions, that is creating our ability to create our own reality through meditation and the power of our thinking. This ability to vibrationally harmonize with them with one another certainly provides a mechanism by which manifesting that is attracting what is similar to our own vibration, either our fears or hopes should theoretically be possible. If we take a meta view of society, our social norms are metaphysically the shared vibrational resonance around belief systems we all hold to be true. Power, then, is but amplitude by another name. If we all resonate around the same belief system, our frequencies match and our amplitude becomes great enough that our combined energy is able to do transformational work. So, as a collective, it bears thinking about where we are putting the power of our beliefs. When it is fear-based, we are co-creating a reality whereby everyone is separate, the world exists in scarcity conditions, and there is real threat to our immediate physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental survival. The media, in its current form, plays a vital role in perpetuating shared fears that continue to resonate and echo back through populations. We can further explore the impact of fear-based contagion with the following analogy. Any bully-victim relationship, whether it's in the workplace, home, politics or school, requires a consensual co-creation of a version of reality where one party is the bully and the other the victim. The bully only has the power of dominance through the fear they are able to evoke and then hold onto from the other party. If no fear is created, no joined resonance is possible and the bully versus victim scenario doesn't exist. Such is the power of our beliefs. These beliefs can be reinforced by power structures relating to real consequences if the victim is found to not comply with the bully. For example, if we disobey the law, we are all well aware that fines or imprisonment are potential outcomes. We therefore consent interfering, breaking the law. 
To dig deeper, it might be true to say that what we take control of takes control of us. In the bully and victim example, both are complicit in holding this dynamic as their reality. The bully may outwardly have control over the victim, but they are vulnerable to the victim's consent in retaining this fear-based dynamic. The same is true when we control any process, for though we have outward control of that process, the fear of misapplication of that process has control over us and forces us into a very specific sequence of steps in order to retain that control. If we think about the power of positive versus negative intentions, it bears mentioning the water crystal experiments conducted by the late Dr. Mazaru Imoto. In a double bind study, he had 2,000 people in Tokyo focus either positive or negative intentions and thoughts towards water samples inside an electric magnetically shielded room located in California. His findings were that based on one's conscious intentions, you can directly alter the geometric shape and structure of water, which he then froze into ice fragments. He found that love-based intentions created symmetrical, crystalline, and geometrically beautiful and balanced shapes, much like snowflakes, whereas negative intentions led to a chaotic and fragmented structure where no ice crystal could form. His results for pure versus polluted water found a similar composition in regards to water crystal structure. If we think of our reality as a macrocosm of the water crystal experiment, then our positive intentions have real and tangible impacts on creating a better world. It also follows that those who act out of fear are those that invite the worst karma, as they are generating a frequency that causes negative outcomes to resonate with them and disfigures what is otherwise in harmony. Whether we are resonating with fear or love, the amplitude of what we are matching grows. However, by the very nature of fear, it is non-connective, asynchronous, separate and chaotic. Love, in contrast, is characterized by synchronization of resonance and coherence. The HeartMath Institute defines the state of harmonization as one of being incoherence, and its studies on anxiety show the difference in heart rate frequency. For example, a study of someone in frustration shows a choppy, non-synchronized and chaotic heart rate frequency, whereas someone experiencing gratitude has a more consistent and harmonic frequency and amplitude. There have been studies concretely linking the resilience of our immune system with our experience of positive emotion. For example, a study conducted by Rain, Atkinson and McCready in 1995 measured LGA or secretory immunoglobin A levels as an index of immune system function. They found that a group asked to meditate on positive gratitude feelings for five minutes immediately increased their IgA levels by 41%. These levels dropped back to baseline after the conclusion of the experiment, but were then found to increase slowly again over a period of several hours. In contrast, the group that were asked to meditate on feelings of anger had a drop of IgA levels of approximately 50% after an hour. So what is the vibration of fear? 
According to an anecdotal story of engineer Vic Tandy published in The Guardian in 2003, the frequency of fear is either 18 or 19 hertz in the infrasound spectrum just below the threshold of human hearing, which is at 20 hertz. He theorises that it is at this frequency that you begin to get fear-based symptoms, discomfort, chills, dizziness, blurred vision by vibrating your eyeballs, hyperventilation possibly leading to panic attacks. Tandy published a study of a haunted house in Coventry dating back to the 14th century where there was found to exist a standing wave of 19 hertz and found that all sightings of apparitions had a correlation with the experience of this frequency. And what is the vibration of love? Whatever it is, it seems to be significantly higher than the theorised fear vibration. Solfeggio frequencies are listed as between 174 to 741 hertz. For example, 174 hertz relieves pain and stress. 285 hertz heals tissues and organs. 396 hertz liberates you from fear and guilt. 417 hertz facilitates change. 528 hertz is for transformation and DNA repair. 639 hertz reconnects you with your relationships and 741 hertz helps provide solutions and self-expression. Another resource lists chakra opening frequencies between 432 and 768 hertz. The root chakra is listed at 432. 32 hertz, the sacral chakra, 480 hertz, the solar plexus chakra is 528 hertz, the heart chakra, 594 hertz, the throat chakra is 672 hertz, the third eye chakra is 720 hertz, and the crown chakra is 768 hertz. Healing specific parts of the body also, according to another resource, are related to resonance with the following frequencies. The stomach is 110 hertz, the pancreas 117.3 hertz, the colon the colon 176 hertz, the liver 198 hertz, the lungs 220 hertz, small intestine 281.6 hertz, the kidney and gallbladder 330 hertz, the bladder 352 hertz, the adrenals, thyroid and spleen 492 hertz and circulation and sexuality 586 hertz. Interestingly, when you focus on the sensation of pain, it can give you clues onto how it is vibrating or pulsing at a different frequency to the rest of your body. If you are able to concentrate on the specific sensation, recognizing it as only traumatic to your system because of the perceived differences to status quo, you can begin to resonate with it. All pain is a single of your body's healing mechanisms kicking in. It works like this. Signals are picked up by sensory receptors in nerve endings in the damaged tissue. The nerves transmit the signals to the spinal cord and then to the brain where the signals are interpreted as pain, which is often described as aching or throbbing. I would hypothesize that numbing both our physical and emotional pain are arrest the process of these energies being released, but I am yet to find a study that verifies this, though some point towards toxins being detoxed, causing a sensation of pain before true healing can, um, can occur. 
Back to fear versus love-based modes of functioning, there are key differences in the way we process information depending on whether we are in a state of fear or love. Love-based thoughts are characterized by their simplicity. They are deductive, holistic, and big picture. Fear-based cognition, in contrast, hones in on details and invites complications in task resolution, whether it is about ensuring every step of a process is properly attended or whether it is in second-guessing someone else's responses to your actions. The very act of second-guessing creates the energy for what is visualized to become truth. Fear places limits on the infinite and then takes those limits as truth. One of the great confusions that creeps into how we evaluate the actions of others is that when we are in a fear-based mode of very deep processing and second-guessing, we create negative laden judgments about a person, phenomenon, or system. Later, we come into a much shallower love-based mode of processing, and though we don't keep precise memory of the mechanics behind judgment formation, we carry heuristics which then inform of how we interact with certain people that might have been initially formed when we were feeling negative emotions. For example, we might have a certain enjoyment with an activity. Maybe it is philosophizing or socializing or whatever. Then someone comes into our life and either implicitly or explicitly criticizes the way we carry out that activity as being incorrect in some way. Our self-identity is at this point so bound up with our enjoyment of what we are doing that the criticism causes us to lash out in order to nullify and neutralize the threat to our ego identity. We then, in this fear-based mode of processing, form a hard judgment against the person who dared to criticize us, not realizing that the very act of placing a judgment on others is exactly what was done to us. Depending on the harshness of the judgments formed, this negative cycle can continue to the detriment of both parties. What I've described is a possible mechanism by which neuroses form. Neuroses are a sign of the employment of a coping mechanism which helps our ego withstand the assault of judgments we find irreconcilable to our self-identity. Possibly the judgments are not warranted because they are based around some limit onto our innate infinite. Equally possibly, we need to come into a state of acceptance of our own duality. No one is inherently bad nor good, and every action we take contains the shadow of its opposite. Once we can begin to view ourselves more objectively and learn to accept all and every drive we have, we come into a state of congruence, coherence, flow, and nothing external can shake our sense of equanimity. In order to truly achieve coherence in every aspect of our life, we have to learn the discipline of aligning our every thought, feeling, attitude, motivation and action to our sense of truth. If we fail to do this, we leave gaps open for others to judge us on our own hypocrisy. Let's think more seriously about the restrictions we place on each other in order to encourage good behaviour. Our society is full of it. We have regulations, protocols, fine print, standards, legislation, codes and laws, all based on controlling our natural behaviours in order to bring them aligned with a common concept of good behaviour. What would happen then if we were to strip back all of this red tape and allow people to act in accordance with their natural instincts? 
Woodstock, probably. People would listen to music, dance together, have sex, do drugs, form deep connections, express emotion, play, love, live simply and follow the grace of their instincts while ignoring anything that made them feel bad or overly complicated. Consider the Catholic priest for a minute. Catholicism is a religion that forces practices of sexual celibacy on its clergy. So what happens to this repressed sexual energy? I don't have to tell you the answer to that. The incidence of child sex rings in the Catholic Church is as widespread as it is depraved. It is a perfect demonstration of the impact any form of repression has on our repression of our drives can have. Or we can consider the repressive and punitive practices that can come from a hyper-controlling or totalitarian government structure. Gulags in Russia, concentration camps in Germany, genocide in Rwanda, all are consequences of a militarized and oppressive governance structure that is overly regulated. In short, a restriction that is a limit on infinity creates the energy that is potential energy for non-synchronic or malevolent behaviour. In short, our laws through the power of manifestation create the exact behaviours they were designed to restrict because the universe is energy and energy seeks equilibrium. If we are all able to honour our natural drives without repression or regulation, there is no energy left over to disrupt our resonance, our flow. That is what coming into a state of love means. Total non-criticism. But we are entities, we generate energy and this energy can resonate and harmonize and that's a wonderful thing. But as entities, we exist in a matter-bound existence. Matter, by its very definition, is low consciousness and low vibration and we require it to survive. So how do we live in perfect love in a physical existence? Simple, we don't, we can't. And so we require forgiveness, even though criticism is a much easier crayon to reach for in our box of colours. Our fears justify themselves as necessary for good behaviour, but they are not. They are complications born of a physical existence. You can tell the amount of of fear a person carries by their resistance to the unrestricted, to the infinite. These are the neuroses that need busting, not because such people are bad people, there is no such thing, but because such people require patience, compassion, and space to learn how to resonate with a love-based frequency. And I always say, be a pro, not a con. And that means look for the positive, not the negative, because if you can only see something as negative, then your view is likely not dynamic. Have you ever noticed that you feel more refreshed, invigorated, and calm after a stroll through nature? The Japanese call it shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing. Studies have proved that these practices reduce stress hormone production, improve feelings of happiness, and free up creativity, as well as lowering heart rate and blood pressure, boosting the immune system, and accelerating recovery from illness. Depending on how healthy healthy the ecosystem you're walking through is, what you'll probably experience is the harmonizing of frequencies of many different entities joined together through a wide network of mycelium. We have built up our world so high that we find ourselves surrounded every day with dead and low vibration things. 
our concrete office blocks, the wooden furniture we use, the books we read or technology we access is all low vibration. There is no consciousness in it, no life. And in the continuum that exists between matter and consciousness, it's all dense, dense, low vibrational matter. If you want to heighten the vibration of a particular space, playing music is a great way. Lighting a candle, another viable option. These things experience the movement and flow of high vibrational energy. Tibetan singing bowls are another way to bring vibrational resonance into a room. And depending on what chord the bowl is tuned to relates to what chakra it helps to resonate with. Back to our discussion of a restriction of energy. If we find ourselves in a situation where we are not allowed full self-expression, we mask in order to self-protect. That is, we take on opposite characteristics to those we naturally have in order to survive. So say I was a person of many insights but no mental discipline in how I ordered them. I would seek to confuse those trying to follow my logic or appeal from a or I would appeal from a position of authority where my wisdom was unquestionable, all as a way to justify both my genius and my laziness. Or I could be a person with very little insight but a highly disciplined mind that requires logic to justify every move I make. I might be drawn to the wisdom of others but then think I know better than them and so find myself unable to listen to their truths, particularly if those truths are of an emotional or spiritual nature. In the first example, I'm relying on a strong intuition but pretending that it is the way that just makes the most sense because I'm an authority, say. In the second example, I only take decisions that make sense but think that I have heightened abilities of intuition. Both these people, instead of learning discipline or opening their mind to insight, are pretending or masking to be opposite to their authentic selves. Of course, the first person's intuition might not be based on as rigorous set of empirical data, so they would be well served by mo- by not relying on these intuitions and instead relying on decisions that make the most sense at any given moment. The second person, in contrast, has to has created a dense database of tangible sense-based evidence to inform any intuitions that they do eventually have. And these insights are more valuable for the array of concrete data available for use. Both these people need to go on a journey or do shadow work, that is, admit their weaknesses, accept help, trust the help that comes, and then transform into their true identity, what we call self-actualization. It is easy to tell when someone is not on their path. Both energetically and visually, they carry a high-density, low-vibrational stress. Their features are less attractive, their posture stooped with stress, their expression tight, and their patience low. The stress comes from lying to the universe about who we are. The more we can live in a way aligned with our inner truth, the more feelings of calm, euphoria, and flow that we are able to experience. Everything is truth from some angle, at some time, in some place. The trick is organising it so that the right truth matches the right organisation. Sorry, situation. This gets harder as it is fractured or symbolically transformed, but if you're good enough at keeping congruent, you get flow. So if this is true, why would we ever place restrictions on ourselves? Why do we pretend to be something we are not? Where is the source of our fear? Simple. We exist in a physical reality which requires our constant manipulation and skills of critical thinking in order to survive. Building skills is the way in which we learn to interact and manipulate this physical reality. 
So what is involved in skill building? According to the instance theory of automaticity, the building of skills requires a composite of identical memory traces that prime a specific sequence of behaviour. The more consistent each memory trace is of practising a skill, say swinging a hammer or kicking a ball, the better the skill level at being able to perform this action with the correct amount of nuance, force, momentum and accuracy to achieve a desired goal. For a memory trace to be consistent, a person needs to be able to remove themselves from all distractions, either external or internal, and this removal requires a perfect level of discipline and restriction. External distractions could be any number of events, loud noises, animal entering a room, etc., whereas an internal distraction can occur through our own imagination, thoughts, feelings, or intuitions. As you might be able to already spot, skill building is in antithesis with resonance. It requires ourselves to remove ourselves, however temporarily, from a sense of flow in order to gain craftsmanship over a specific skill. The danger we find ourselves in with our current society is that every activity we could imagine engaging in for survival requires a high skill level. Our whole world is manufactured and the skills we learn help us to slot into an industrialised, mechanised world. These skills that we learn to operate in our current world are not necessarily dynamic. We may learn how to build a bridge to a certain spec, but we don't necessarily understand in a first principles way why we follow the sequence of steps we undertook to get the end result. And without this dynamic and detailed understanding, we find ourselves unable to repurpose such skills and to build something of our own choosing. The detachment our globalised and technical world has from a sense of spirituality can be directly attributed to the glamorization of technical skill building at the cost of everything else. The Gods Must Be Crazy, a 1980s film by Janie Ewis, has a great opening scene driving home this exact point by use of a British narrator, much in the style of David Edinburgh's narration of the animal kingdom. The narrator explains Western society. Civilised man refused to adapt to his environment, instead adapting his environment to himself, creating new technologies in order to help him. But somehow he didn't know where to stop and now his children are subjected to 12 to 15 years of school just to learn how to fit into their complex environment. It is on us to ensure that we only spend time learning the skills we need to operate this complex environment in a way that is fitting to the choices we make for our life. Otherwise, the danger is that we stay in a state of permanent skill building and threat response and forget how to come back into a state of unrestricted resonance. It is important to know and accept that when we are in a state of skill building, our consciousness and vibration decreases, so it is critical to keep the choice of when and how you skill build. In fact, when we embrace dynamic skill building, we find that it directly helps in our capacity to resonate. We can learn how to discipline our mind from paying attention to fear-based thoughts, feelings and attitudes. We can teach ourselves to make it a habit to always take the brave choice. We can learn how to synthesize huge volumes of information so we only pull out the fragments of truth which we can then reweave into a more whole form. My own skill building, let's call it education, has taught me to, te to detect, 
diagnose and dispel fear-based cognitive neuroses at their source. The year of 2016, I walked away from my last year of my psychology degree to instead write a thousand pages of my own information systems regarding biology, statistics, psychology, including my own personal 400-page psychological theory based off of Jung, all the while developing my own methodology and system of information extraction and communication. Simultaneous to this, I kept a record of my mental journey via daily blogs on OneNote and a record of my emotional journey via music on YouTube playlists. I retaught myself mathematics from kindergarten to university level and still practice Lumosity regularly to keep my mind sharp. Making the decision to be more selective in how you skill build sounds great in theory, but if we are in constant threat from each other, it is always going to be the most skilled of us who will survive. Any situation where we work collaboratively and not individually requires the establishment of trust. So it's lucky that building trust is a teachable skill. It simply requires successful persuasion to have taken place. And persuasion is easy to implement, but because we are so vulnerable to it, there are strong mechanisms in place to, gu to guarantee our continued mental and actual safety. The strength of our capacity to persuade others is in direct proportion to the amplitude of the energy that we vibrate at. When everyone is in a fear-based state, little trust is created and no resonance possible, so it follows that amplitude is very low to non-existent. Upon initiating relationships with strangers, you will find that they only allow you a narrow amplitude or bandwidth. As their trust, think of it like earning poker chips, is earned, certain thresholds are reached, unlocking new levels of amplitude and resonance. Two things are unlocked. One, magnitude of amplitude you are allowed to generate, and two, introduction of new content into your interactions. So is earning trust a type of manipulation? Well, yes and no. Yes, it is a tactic of earning the right to more greatly influence another's behaviour. No. In order to do it properly, you need to validate their love-based motivations, which takes a complete surrendering of ego to do properly. So how do you build trust? For people who are making love-based decisions in their life, earning their trust requires validating their worldview, thereby allowing them to relinquish the negative emotional energy they hold from being misunderstood. This requires the practice of compassion and positive vibration. For people making fear-based decisions in their life, earning their trust requires transforming their worldview and bringing it dynamism dynamism, thereby releasing the cognitive neuroses they harbour. This requires critical thinking that is able to diagnose and dispel the discrepancy in their mental conclusions. It is noteworthy that those who practice love in their decision-making are fear-based in their ability to take feedback, and that those who practice fear in their decision-making are love-based in their ability to take feedback, because all energy is balanced in the universe at all times. It is also critical to understand that it is only the unlimited self that can have full comprehension of all these dynamics, so ego is only bad in as far as it is limited.'